Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, I make no apology for the fact that we've been to Borough Market before and we're going there again in a tour whose progress is unimpeded by historical fact. I've put myself in the hands of John Smallshaw and what unfolds, I think you'll agree, is completely unique. So let's go. Pausing only to note that it's the 24th of January 2014. I'm Anne Quentin Wolfe and this is Londonist Out Loud. Hey baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before, just a stone throw from your front door. Hello, once again we find ourselves in what would be the shadow of the Shard if there were much in the way of sunshine. It's it's a little bit of a cloudy day, but this is such an impressive structure and because the cloud is relatively low, that fractured top of the Shard seems to be disappearing off into the heavens. I'm a little nervous because I'm with the, uh, the greatest poet in the world, he says, John Smallshore. And this is a big claim because we're on the south bank of the Thames, not far away from uh, Shakespeare. Hi, John. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You seem like a quiet, retiring character. I think this is going to be a dull tour that you're going to give us around Tooley Street, London Bridge. Absolutely. Very boring. Have a listening. What sort of stuff are we going to be looking at and why? Well, uh, you get some interesting stuff about the outlaw borough, Southwark. And let's start with the shard, shall we? You mentioned the shards. Renzo Piano's masterpiece. What most people don't realise is the top three sections open up and fold flat once a year and they revolve and dancing girls come out and sing happy birthday to the Queen. Yes, it's going to be that sort of a, a tour, listener. John Smallshaw, we need to know something about you and your credentials before we take a step into this. OK, I'm uh, 57 years young and getting younger. I was a drug addict for about 40 years on and off. Not proud of that, it's just a fact. Uh, I'm clean now, quite normal. I'm actually paying taxes and that's killing me. I work at the House of St Barnabas for Benugo and uh, I'm absolutely fabulous. I do unseen tours, part of the sock mob events and they are responsible for helping many homeless people on the streets of London. And there's a lot of noise around here. I tried to stop it once but they never listened to me. What's the uh, what's the, the role of St Barnabas and uh, is it soft mob? What, what do they what do they do? Well, St Barnabas, of course, is the uh, homelessness charity number one Greek Street, very famous charity indeed. Certainly helped me. Uh, sock mob has nothing to do with uh, the house of St Barnabas. I'm just doing a bit of advertising here. But the sock mob, um, I came to them through unseen tours and indirectly through a volunteer at the house of St Barnabas. So. Uh, in that way they are linked they, they've helped me to uh, relate to people because 40 years of not relating seriously damages you I had an encounter with a chap yesterday and I just want to maybe gauge and maybe I'm uh, a long way off the mark I don't know but I want to gauge whether this relates to your experience at all which was uh, down in Brick Lane a chap came up to me who was looking for change very aggressive glazed over eyes uh, is this close to where you were or was it a completely different experience for you well I, I went to uh, several projects during my time on drugs and I remember asking once do I appear normal and uh, I was told well you seem a bit slow and that that I suppose shocked me 
but uh, I've been asked for money by by drug addicts who have had more money in their hands than I've had in my pocket. It's a sad fact of life, but it's something I never did. I never begged. I did other things. And you're from Lancaster, aren't you? Well, yes, I was brought up in Lancaster, and uh, but I was born in the northeast of England, the poor quarter, and then we came down to the rich city when I was 15. Ran away from home, you know, like all good boys do. Here I am. And now you're a, a tour guide and you're a poet as well. You, you're a frequenter of Radio 4 and so forth. And you're going to be showing us around uh, London Bridge area. What style do your tours take? Uh, I, I think you might call it quite eccentric, really. We, uh, or I put in a few facts, a few figures, but they're quite boring. So I tend to talk about myself and talk a bit about Sonic. And people seem to like that. Well... John Smallshill, thanks for giving us this tour today. Let's get underway. OK, well, we're starting here uh, opposite the Shard, where the London Dungeon used to be, but uh, that closed down. Not enough prisoners. Oh, well, hold on. Who's the bloke dressed as a pirate over there, then? Ah, that... Dro- <laughs> Is he just a, a passerby? Yes, he's just one of the locals. Actually, he's from the uh, London Bridge Experience, which apparently is the scariest show in London, although the London Dungeon... Uh, may have something to say about that. The London Dungeon, by the way, is at Waterloo and they don't pay me anything for advertising that fact. We're uh, heading off to London Bridge via St Olaf House. Now, as I was waiting to meet you here outside London Bridge Station, I properly clocked this building for the first time. What a gorgeous, probably Art Deco construction. Well, yes, uh, I could imagine that chappy Hercule Poirot, Poirot coming down the stairway here. It is, as you say, a beautiful building. was the site of the St. Olave Convent long before I was born. And there is an interesting feature here, apart from it being Art Deco. The two uh, small windows at the top of the building form an optical illusion. Uh, They appear to be coming outwards. And this is due entirely to the brickwork surrounding the windows. I often say that the... uh, railings at the top remind me of the Titanic I can see Leonardo (laughs) DiCaprio leaning over these wonderful railings and saying we're sinking (laughs) it's quite an old building actually all this is quite modern on the front and this dates back to the 18th century this is Hayes Wharf uh, which all this area was down here at one time oh my god I'm going into history Uh, the Hayes Galleria is another one of the 18th century buildings down here and there's a plaque on the side of the building here which gives us history that goes far further back. A church was constructed here in the 11th century uh, on this site in memory of St Olaf, or Olav, King of Norway, who in the year 1014 helped King Ethelred defend the city of London against the Danes. I've never heard about that chapter of London's right. history. Yes, St Olaf, King Olaf, King of Norway, 995 to 1036, if you believe Google. Uh, and he had a deal with one of our kings to uh, get into the city of London or get into London. But uh, the king he had the deal with was known as Ethelred, King Ethelred. And uh, he was unready for the deal. King Ethelred the unready, of course. So, yeah, quite. don't confuse Olaf, of course, with Olaf V. He died in 1991. There's about a thousand years difference. Most people do confuse that, funnily enough. Well, we're heading down now in front of St Olaf House. Even the font of the name of the building is extravagant in Art Deco. And looking at... Oh, well, this is the first time I've ever been fascinated by a carport. <laughs> I'm often fascinated coming by here. I love it. And do and you know what? I've never really found out what goes on inside there. It could be MI6 for all I know. So standing outside with a microphone uh, discussing it's probably a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Fabulous. We're going to mention this wonderful bit of artistry on the way back from London Bridge but don't mention it yet Ah right, this is the thing off to our left and we're moving towards our right now if you want to follow us on a, a map, I don't know why you'd follow us on a map but you might choose to and we're going towards St Olive Stairs Going towards where? Oh, St Olive <laughs> Stairs, it said it on a sign back there Really, I'm going towards the Queen's Walk but don't expect to see us, he's very rich and gets someone to do it for her now And as we come through this passageway at right angles to the river here we come out and we're on a terrace with the river in front of us and the walkie-talkie there still just uh, being completed we can see the gherkin and one or two other church spires there quite a pretty day and uh, right over there is london bridge and i know what you're thinking isn't it ugly 
Yes, it is. It's absolutely disgraceful. Lump of concrete. Box girder construction, thou knows. Opened in 1973 by Her Majesty the Queen. What a wonderful day that must have been. But it's just the latest in a long line of London bridges. From Roman times, of course, and maybe even before that, wooden bridges across the river. The Vikings would come up this river and burn them down, as Vikings did. And about the year, ooh, somewhere in the 12th century, a, ge- a gentleman called Peter de Colchurch built a fantastic wooden bridge over the city. Not, not on this particular site, a bit further upstream. And this is the bridge they sang the song about, of course, London Bridge is Falling Down. They sang it about a later bridge, but I prefer the wooden bridge. The same gentleman constructed the first stone bridge across the river. A medieval marvel of engineering, with a whole city of commerce on top, palaces, offices, shops, goldsmiths, silversmiths, and it was a toll bridge. This is how we funded our wars, of course, the tolls from the bridge. It burned burned down once, I think, yes, all the top of it. Not the stone, of course, stone doesn't burn. But this medieval bridge had an unintended consequence. There were 19 arches and it slowed the river down. And for several hundred years afterwards, of course, when it was cold enough that, and the Thames would freeze to a... Di- uh, well, almost solid. And they had the frost furs on the river. Great extravagant balls where all the prostitutes and dealers would come and do whatever they did. Now, this, this medieval bridge did eventually sort of fall apart. And the bridge I remember came into being. I think it opened in 18... 18- 30, my goodness me, the old brain's not working well this morning, it's getting cold. It's frosted over. Absolutely. It opened in, eight, let's say, 1831 or 1836. Oh, I can't remember, do you know what, I'm getting old. Anyway, pick any year between them and it opens. <laughs> Listen, we're not talking facts here, but around about that time. Uh, let's call it the Victorian Bridge, so it opened just before Victoria came to the throne. We'll call it the Victorian Bridge. And Vic, Vic... I, I need to do a, one of those screen wipes in the, the style of a clock now, one hour later. <laughs> yes, and now Victorian engineering, as we know, was the finest in the world because we were the world. Uh, unfortunately, this bridge wasn't, and it fell apart. It got into such a state of disrepair, it was cheaper to put this lump of concrete over the river than to rebuild the old uh, London Bridge. And so we sold it. Yes, that's what we do. We sell things. And we sold it for uh, a lot of money <laughs> to Mr. McCulloch of McCulloch Oil. Uh, $4,640,000. Some ridiculous summer figure. More money than cents. And he took it down stone by stone and shipped it over to America and rebuilt it as a tourist attraction. Wonderful. And, and denies vehemently, I believe, the idea that he mistakenly bought this instead of Tower Bridge. Absolutely. Which way we? Uh, which way we headed? Well, now from now we're going to see the oldest Gothic church in London because you know in an outlaw borough that was full of vice and crime, there was an awful lot of vicars and nuns. It just makes me wonder why. As we turn around and put London Bridge to our backs and head down the riverside, we can see Belfast. At, we can't see Belfast, we can see HMS Belfast. Oh, I can see Belfast. Can you really? Yes, I've got good vision. I can see the sun. It's 93 million miles away. <laughs> uh, to the left there, we've got the Tower of London, and to the right, Tower Bridge. Very uh, The picture postcard scenery. Absolutely. I come here every day just to wallow in it. Which part of town are you from, John? Well, I live in Stratford. I overlook the Olympic site. And what a site it is. What a legacy I've been left. What, what do you think of the big red thing? <laughs> Look, looks like a Spanish bordello. When, when they were building it, I thought, I thought it was a helter-skelter. And I thought, that's nice. Is that a new Olympic sport? It wasn't, of course. I've never been in the Olympic Park. Can't afford it. I'm poor. I was about to knock the idea of Helter Skelter being uh, worthy of sport because it's essentially sitting down and then I remembered the luge. <laughs> no, no, bin, thanks. As I, as I said, we shall mention this wonderful bit of architecture. Ah, yes, we've popped out. We're, we're back uh, close to where we started and this is the thing on the left that we couldn't tell you about. Yes, this is our, uh, let's say, our tribute to Peter de Colchurch. Colchurch House, a great bit of 60s brutalism. 
wonderful. It should be listed, really, but I very much doubt it will be. Space Age Windows reminds me of Blake 7, for you older listeners. Yeah, it really does, doesn't it? And it's in a sort of odd off-salmon off colour. Yes, I, I'd say off-salmon. I say off-something, I don't know what. As, we, as we're passing this, we just see this sundial affair poking its needle up atop the bridge. And that is known as a Southwark Spike. Yes, a Southwark Spike, a reference to the heads that used to be on the spikes of the gates of the old London Bridge. Did you ever see the film Braveheart? No, he says. Well, if you had, you'd know that the first head ever on a spike at London Bridge was none other than Mel Gibson's. Oops, no, it wasn't. It was William Wallace. No, when they stopped putting heads on spikes. Ah, I suppose when you run out of dead people. I I really don't know. (laughs) They're never in short supply, are they? Absolutely not. But uh, it was a deterrent against criminals, which did last for about 400 years. Not really much of a deterrent, was it? And now, which which bridge are we heading under here? Well, this is London Bridge. Uh, so this is a tunnel. This is a tunnel under London Bridge that we're heading through yes. now. And the granite stones on either side are the originals from the Victor- what we call the Victorian Bridge. So when we actually sold the bridge to Mr. McCulloch, we ripped him off. We'll keep, in the middle. We'll keep that to ourselves. Oops. Lots of fairy lights in the pavement here. Let's just stop by this lovely bit of street art. What, are we stopping next to a wheelie bin? I I prefer to call it street art. Uh, Hang on, let me just admire this for a moment. Yes, well, we only stop because of these steps. Now, Charles Dickens was a a frequent visitor around here. I asked myself why it was a sinful borough. But in his book, Oliver Twist, when Bill Sykes overheard Nancy plotting to betray him, she was, in the book, of course, sat on these steps, the Nancy Steps, Can you see the plaque on the wall that says these are the Nancy steps of historical literature? No, you can't because there isn't one. But take my word for it, these are the Nancy steps. Let's pass on down past Glazier's Hall, which is not on the tour, but I just thought I'd mention it. Now, this little pub on the left has always interested me, the Mudlark, a lovely little spot there. Yes, never been in the I don't drink, which is a lie. you a little bit about your, your your drug use what sort of thing were you taking uh really anything that uh, got me out of it anything that uh gave me an escape i i, I didn't really well I, I still don't really understand it but i did carry a a, a pocketbook of mims so <laughs> and anything i found i would just check to see what will this do for me you say running away do you have an idea what you were sort of escaping from uh, not really, because I think my childhood was really quite good. I'd, I was brought up in, the, in Lancashire, and uh, a mum and dad, four brothers, a sister. But uh, I, th- I think the 60s was, you know, that James Dean thing and the angst. Is that the word, angst? Yes. Bloody Germans everywhere, excuse that. Um, I don't know. Honestly, you know, and... and the, if I sit and think about it, I just get upset. So I don't think about it. I think there's lots of other stuff we could be thinking about, Absolutely. including a church wearing a tutu. <laughs> Isn't that marvellous, eh? Dressing up for Sunday. And what day is it? Tuesday? Wednesday? Thursday? Uh, anyway, listen, this is the oldest Gothic church in London. I know what you're thinking. Yes, it's not a church. It's a cathedral. Well, you're quite right. This is Southwark Cathedral, a beautiful bit of architecture indeed um, started around the year 1200 about the same time as St Paul's but earlier this is a fine construction and uh, Shakespeare was associated well with this church and I suspect he must have given money to him because his brother Edmund is buried here Edmund of course is the one who wrote the music for his plays no he's not I made that up but he is buried in there that's, that's interesting that uh, it bears comparison, uh, the, the date bears comparison with the original St Paul's. What about the construction of it? Would, would the other one have looked like this? 
uh, quite so. There's a there's a picture at the, towards the end of the tour that shows the two churches together. And although this one is was always smaller, they're not that dissimilar. And St Paul's, of course, was built without the dome. That was an afterthought, a 500 year old afterthought. But there you go. Now Shakespeare, I love him. He's great. He's not as good a poet as me, but he's you know he's making it. Um, his brother's in there, yeah. Some great tombs in there. The tomb of John Gower. Now, he's a great lad. Poet laureate. Confessio Romantis. What? <laughs> <laughs> yes, poet laureate to Henry II. And in an earlier existence, and listen, this has got to be a great chat up line, guys. He was known as... Oh, thank you very much. We have sound effects free of charge here. Don't worry. <laughs> We couldn't have organised this better if we tried a man with a, a trolley with metal objects on it is now going over cobbles near us. <laughs> Absolutely. He's, he is doing his best to be quiet, though. Now we're going over the lumpy bits for uh, people with uh, visual impairments. He's going faster. He is. I think he feels sheepish. OK, so Henry II, in, in his previous reincarnation, was known as Henri of Anjou. What a great title. Hello, darling. My name's Henri of Anjou. But he did marry Eleanor of Aquitaine. And although we were the world at that time, we became a bigger world because we owned a lot of Western Europe then. And then he lost it in all the wars he got involved in. But there you are. A great a great tomb in there of a Mr Lockyer. Well, hold on, what happened to John Gower? Oh, yeah, what happened to him? Oh, contemporary of Chaucer, of course. Boring old fart. I, I think they loved each other slightly. They, they did mention each other in their poetry, which I've never read because I can't understand foreign languages. You were going to mention another tomb? I was going to mention another tomb. Before I threw you off track. No, you didn't. Mr Lockyer, a local businessman. Absolutely fabulous guy. Famous for sunshine pills, and we all need some of them. Uh, sunshine pills could cure anything from syphilis to gout, and they must have worked. He lived till he was 80 years old. Wonderful. He looks a bit like Charles II, but I suspect that has something to do with the wig. Okay. When, when, when was this fellow operating his business? Oh, 17th century. I think he died in the 16th century, but he, he was plumbed into the uh, church in the 17th century. Uh, and he looks it as well. It's quite old. This sounds like the sort of thing that Swift might have been satirising with his uh, uh, scientists and their experiments in uh, Gulliver's Travels. Yes, jolly good. And do you know who was a regular visitor to this borough? None other than Samuel Pepys. Oh, yes. He never wrote that in his diary, did he? No, but he wouldn't cross over the bridge because, of course, he would have been noticed. He used one of the, the myriad of ferry operators. And, and between the two bridges, Tower Bridge and, and further downstream, there must have been uh, 300 ferry operators in, in, uh, during that time, certainly during Shakespeare's time there was. And the more sound effects, shall we move on? Yes, I think we should. You, you understand that a lot that I am missing a lot out on this because this is like a whistle-stop tour without the whistles. Yes, if, if people... Because it's a perfect moment, really. If, if people want the, the full Monty, where can they find that? They can find me outside that black telephone box every Saturday and Sunday, 3 o'clock, or they can uh, go online to Sock Mob Events or Unseen Tours and book at London Bridge or several of the other tours. The black telephone box in question is the one at the Tooley Street entrance it to is. London Bridge Station, or you can attempt to walk through a wall at King's Cross Station, but it, it won't work. You can. Now we're stopping here because on a dark night, there's a figure you wouldn't want to see. Goodness me, who is this creature looking out from the window of this building? This looks like a mad friar to me. Probably he could be a crutched friar from Oldgate, and that's a great... T- excuse me, I'm a crutched friar. Don't ask me what one of them is. I think it's at the meeting of three streets, the crutch. But uh, it looks sad, doesn't it, really? It looks gruesome as well. And this whole new bit, by the way, of the oldest Gothic church in London was uh, opened in 2001 by Nelson Mandela. And he must have thought he was coming to Disney World. Don't fall. (laughs) Yes, a fast fade nearly happened there. It certainly looks like some castle in Disney World, doesn't it? Oh, right now we've come around the corner. Yes, it really does. Lots of very twee suburban turrets. And more street art. Who knew that a church could throw out so much rubbish? What are they getting up to in there? I have absolutely no idea. Cleaning the vaults. Shall we stop by the market before we pop further down there and see what made England great? Ah, good idea. Now we've found our way circuitously to Borough Market. Those familiar green columns just coming out of Cathedral Street. 
and it's chilly this morning but I'm bright as a button don't know why <laughs> John are there lots of people doing what you're doing do you run into familiar faces uh, doing the round uh, the tours well we have uh, we're running five or six tours at the moment but uh, it, you know there are satellite if that's the right word there are people interested in the idea I think there's one just opened in Canterbury it's a way of uh, using that word empowering street people to get up off their asses, if you like and and uh, relate properly to other people because when you're on the street you you tend to think you become invisible and when you're invisible of course no one can see you so it doesn't really matter what you do when you do crazy things so let, let me make sure i've understood that then was the beginning of you doing these sort of tours did that coincide with the, your changing lifestyle uh, yeah, I, I guess it did. Not, not certainly not long afterwards. Let's say through the house, through someone I met at the house of Saint Barnabas, uh, and it was really them that encouraged me to to continue with the writing. I, I'd written most of my life and threw it away, uh, and so um, uh, this gentleman, Grant Burford, created me a website, and I I bang all my stuff out on WordPress now or my own website, johnsmallshaw.com. Please look in. And uh, it, it, it came about as that, a change in lifestyle and a change, really, in attitude. Can you tell me about other people's attitude? I'm, I'm keen to know, I guess, what you have seen in other people, or what, what, yeah, what you've seen in other people being invisible. Uh, I, I think that's it, because, because the madness affects you, and whether it's a madness, who knows, but uh, you, you, don't, you don't really see other people, and... You tend, it's almost an impression or, or a feeling you get that, uh, well, nobody's watching me. Why am I watching them? So you don't. And, and you go through life as if you're, you're cloaked, you know, like a Klingon. Yeah, I used to watch Star Trek when I had a TV. Cloak of invisibility. Uh, and I laugh about it now, but I, I may have laughed about it then, I can't remember. But when, when, I, when I see homeless people and, and it, just a quick uh, a memory a recent memory I went on uh, a tour in Old Street also uh, run by a Unseen Tours Guide and it was pouring down with rain and there was a young girl laying on the street and it was, a, it was like 4 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon there was no tours in London Bridge and just now everybody was ignoring her yeah, and that, that affected me quite deeply, really. So, uh, yeah, that's it. It makes common sense in some ways that uh, homeless women are treated with perhaps more urgency, more care than yeah. homeless men. I just wondered if you had any thoughts about that. Well, absolutely. You know, I, I thought, you know, I'm a big lad, I always have been a big lad, and I've never really uh, felt frightened being on the streets. But I can understand that women would feel frightened and and there is a certainly in this borough 40 years ago when everybody wanted to leave because it was a right toll if you'll excuse the expression uh and and the women then were easy prey for anybody and uh, whether that's amongst the other homeless community or outsiders who would come in and take advantage you know well, we've, uh, we've come around to Borough Market, as we mentioned, and there's lots going on. It's always got this feeling of lots happening, hasn't it, really? Absolutely. Well, there's, there's been a market certainly recorded here since the uh, 13th century, but probably more of a fair then. You know, like the Hogarth Paris Gardens, of course, the famous fair. And I imagine that this one was like that then. Um, and it was quite a naughty place. It was attached originally to the end of the 19-arched medieval bridge. So it was a massive, massive open-air market. And um, lots went on here. I can imagine people, like in Hogarth's Paris Gardens, jumping out of the windows to get to the tents. Hello, who's operating today? But this was a borough... It was a busy, busy place. A port, sailors and vice and skullduggery. Plenty of malefactors. Now, these are great words. But they weren't particularly great people, you know. A lot of sad things must have happened here. There's something interesting, though, isn't there, in the bridge being a toll bridge and then the place where you go and get all your stuff, do all your trade, being on the other bank. So if you if you want to buy, presumably, fruit, veg, supplies, meat, whatever it might be, you're going to have to pay your toll to go over and get it. 
Uh, whether that was true, who knew? But the, of course, the other side of the river was the Puritan side, the walled city. And what they couldn't get over there, like the prostitutes and the alcohol, they came over here. And they only came over here for that, for the theatres and the, and the uh, brothels, of course. So uh, this, is, this is why this was the outlaw borough. You know, if you wanted to disappear, you disappear, it's like Sherwood Forest, really, wasn't it? If you think of it that way. Anyway, let's have a look at this market. We're stood outside the Borough Market. Uh, Charles Dickens mentioned this in his book, actually, Little Dorrit. But uh, it's not what I'd really call a market today. It's a fascinating place, and there's lots of nice things to buy. And get free, I might add. Take a plate, and there's plenty of free samples of food to be had on a Saturday. But uh, you can't buy knicker elastic here, or spud guns. No, they're things of the past. And there's nothing really old here anymore. A bit of uh, mid-19th century architecture, a nice uh, ni- 1920s, 1930s Art Deco frontage, and that's it. But a young lady who used to run this tour said that the stallholders would let her sleep inside at night, or some nights. So that's quite nice of them. We're going now, and I, well, we're going somewhere very special. I'm going to show you what made England great. Londonist.loud is sponsored by Audible. To claim your free audiobook from a range of 60,000 titles, try the Audible service on 30-day free trial. Audiobooks can be saved as MP3s and played on your compatible phone, tablet, or desktop, or burned to CD, and they're yours to keep. For your free audiobook, go to www.audible.co.uk slash Londonist and click through. Do you know what? This is what made England great. What, you might ask? Well, it's obvious to me. Piracy. Yes, that's what made England great. And I, sh- I shall explain. We're at St Mary over his dock. And uh, there's a lovely little boat there with a black hull and a golden <coughs> fawn on the front there uh, as the masthead. Absolutely. And for those of you who remember Captain Pugwash, it looks something like the black pig. But this is, in fact, a replica of the Golden Hinds. Uh, I believe this one has circumnavigated the globe. There is another down in Brixham, Devon, which looks awfully similar. But yes, the, uh, this is what really made England great, our, our um, relationship with the oceans. This is Drake's ship, not launched as the Golden Hind, but launched as the Pelican in the year 1577. What a great year that was, the height of Elizabethan reggae. And this was the Concord of its day, reputed to do eight knots. Wow, I can hear you gasp. Yes, ten miles an hour in a stiff wind. Ten million square feet of sail and 80 to 85 crew members in such a small boat. But this boat is a galleon, make no mistake about that. And it's a warship, 22 cannons. And I mean, this... Well, hold on, what? Really? Uh, no, this must be one of your made-up facts. Really what? 22 cannons on a little boat like that? Absolutely, 22 cannons. And uh, we probably sank many ships with it. I've just realised we, the, the, we did the most awful thing. Uh, we pluralised cannons with an S on the end. 22 cannon. Not, this, wh- not get- where I come from, I'm both, both of us are going to be off radio for, <laughs> for that. Well, that's jolly good. I've always wanted to be on the radio. This isn't radio, is it? I thought this was TV. Yeah, but do you know what? When you look at this ship, if you relate this to any of the old seafaring movies where, the, where you see the pirates or whatever climbing up the rigging, you think, well, it's only small. You could spit and reach the top of that. It looks like something you'd find inside a bottle, and yet this is what made our country great. Yes. Now, where, where did this ship go? What did it do? Or the, the original, of course. Oh, Google, how do I know? <laughs> absolutely no idea <laughs> this, is, this is not part of the tour I, do, I don't mind questions but only ones I can answer please <laughs> a list of approved questions is available <laughs> I still don't believe this 22 cannon business I can see one poking out of the side there I can see flaps on the side 22 there cannons. well you could probably get three or four out of the tight Sure you all. can Google it. 22 cannons. It's a galleon. Four cannons? What's that going to sink? Four cannon. I'm terribly sorry. Four cannon. You'd bag a peddler, wouldn't you? Which brings us quite nicely to the uh, remains of the Bishop's Palace. 
the Bishop of Winchester. Let's walk a bit closer. We've uh, come to the left, and as we came through between two buildings here into Pickford's Wharf, what we can see is a familiar old end wall of a place of religion. And at the top there, it's it's not stained glass without the glass, but it's got that sort of framework that you would expect in a window. I'm not sure whether that would ever have been glazed. OK, these are the remains of the Bishop of Winchester's Palace, and because the Bishop of Winchester, or Winchester, owned owned uh, vast swathes of land in southern England, they're very rich, probably uh, as powerful as the crown in its day. This from dating from the 12th century... And uh, they ruled everything in what was, I suppose, a semi-autonomous state, the kingdom within a kingdom. Um, so what, this, this place is only 100 years older than the cathedral at Southwark, then? Oh, yes. It's not in a very good state, I can't help notice. No, I, I think there was uh, a fire. I made that up. It's old, what do you expect? I'm falling apart and I'm only 57. That's ancient. That's ancient. Uh, what's on the list of approved questions for this structure? OK, people ask, well, what did they rule over in this kingdom? Shall I say that? Yes. Well, John, you know what I'd really like to know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. What would you really like to know? Well, I'd like to know, what, what did they rule over in this kingdom? Well, they ruled over everything, but do you know what stew is? Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's a hot pot in your part of the world. Yes, you're quite right, but in this part of the world it was a brothel and the church licensed the ladies who worked in the brothel and these ladies were affectionately known as the Winchester geese and the stew house owners were also licensed and they they had a list of rules one of which was that if a nun worked from the building the bishop must know oh yes they were strange times indeed I didn't make that up that's quite true they had to have legislation to cover that. It was such a common occurrence. I'm not sure about that legislation, but, but rules are rules. And the ordinance, however, that, that allowed the church to license the brothels was signed by none other than Thomas Beckett. Yes, to- they made it... Oh, you're shaking your head in wonder. Well, I'm just surprised see. he didn't go for the don't-become-prostitute angle rather than... No, no. They made Thomas a saint, by the way. Strange fella. But, uh, you know, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. You know, I could say that I think the church is very greedy, always has been, as an institution. Or you could say they were trying to regulate a, an ages-old profession in, in what was a very harsh place. Um, however, when Cromwell kicked off around about the 16, mid-1600s, he, he managed to disassociate, if, you, if that's the right word, the, the church from the girls and, and the girls who had had the liberty of the clink, that's a great term, isn't it? The clink being the prison. They were given the liberty of the clink to go about their business free from harassment. Cromwell stopped that, and you may think that the girls would have had a better time of it then, but no, because whatever protection the church had given them, they had lost. And in in an exceedingly dangerous place, I think their lot became much worse. We're heading down Clink Street now, and it says the Clink Prison Museum down here. Is this the one that's uh, officially the scariest place in London? No, it's the other. No, that's the other one. Um, that's the. Oh, we've given them enough free advertising. Yeah, we've given them free advertising. Not pay me. This is the uh, Clink Museum, uh, Clink Prison Museum rather. Clink Prison, reputed to be the worst jail in medieval England. These places seem to be rather relishing the gruesomeness of conditions back then. Oh, absolutely. But uh, I think. What do you, sorry. What, what do you think will be a comparable reflection of the uh, nastier sides of our society in the future? Uh, the Houses of Parliament, most definitely. <laughs> they do that already, don't they? Well, do you know, uh, I, I don't think we have anything that, that could even scratch the surface of what it must have been like back then. We're necessarily missing a few bits out of the tour as we go through here, as we mentioned, John Wall. Uh, give you far more detail than we're doing here. Just turn the corner at the end of Clink Street. Now, I remember this piece of wall art. It's a rather peculiar object. It looks like some sort of a mechanical coffee grinder and it's got a a soda siphon attached to it. I seem to remember John Constable, who I I gather you you know John Constable, don't you? I think John's one of the best tour guides, almost as good as me. But actually, if you need a, a tour that gives you facts rather than what I give you, go on John's tour. So you place yourself below John Constable but above Shakespeare. This says a lot for John Constable as well. Most definitely. I saw him recently in a play and he blew me away with it. 
Well, so you've, you've brought us to look at this wall. What's the significance? None at all. The, Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is spokes, but this wasn't actually the wall. This is corporate... This is corporate street art. I think this was funded by Southwark Council, and that's just a thought. I think it was. This is the wall I want you to see. Yes, this grey piece of brick. The uh, immediately noticeable thing here is that there is nothing here. Absolutely. But once, this wall held a Banksy masterpiece. The one known as checkbook vandalism. Yes, checkbook vandalism. And today that would be worth millions but so the council just came along and painted it grey. That's it. Apparently, one of John or Katie's friends was down here saying, please don't paint over it. And they did. Are you suggesting that uh, council drones cannot be argued with? Well, drones can't be argued with. In, in, I, do you know what? We're all going to be drones one day, aren't we? I, I love the future. I think it's going to be marvellous for us. I find it difficult to believe you'll be a drone. <laughs> I drone on a bit. <laughs> We're past the anchor pub now. We're back on the riverside, more or less. Yes, we are back on the riverside, but let's just mention the anchor pub. In its day, Shakespeare would have known this place. This was one of the stew houses. It wasn't known as the anchor, and I can't quite remember at the moment what it was called, but uh, if you come on my tour, I'll definitely remember. So Shakespeare would have known this place. We're, wa- we're walking down Bankside. We've, we've walked through Bankside. This is still Bankside. And, uh, of course, we would have been at the banks of the river back in, even back in Shakespeare's day. Oh, right, yes. Uh, and the river, of course, would have been a lot wider and a lot shallower. The bridge we're about to go under is Southwark Bridge. And, really, this should have been London Bridge. It's a beautiful bit of ironwork. This is your green and yellow bridge. Yeah, well, you could say green and yellow, but I wouldn't. What would you say? Well, it's colourful. The colours are green and yellow. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but that's so boring. You've got to leave something to the imagination. It's a a rainbow. (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. And over the back end of the bridge, you can see the Dome of St Paul's, which apparently was going to be a lot bigger when it was designed. But I think they ran out of money. It's not on the tour, so I don't have to be sure about that. I'm not sure about anything, really. In fact, I don't think they wanted a dome at all. And Christopher Wren decided to do it. I don't know. It's only bits and pieces I've picked up over a thousand years. Oh, have you heard that wonderful story? I'm not sure whether I've already mentioned it on this podcast, but it just it's so good it's worth repeating. So Christopher Wren got commissioned to... I think it was either Oxford or Cambridge he got commissioned to, to make a building of a reasonable size. And we know that Wren was quite a visionary, a bit, a bit of an egotist. And he constructed this building, and what he didn't put in was columns to keep the roof up, because he used his clever design. And the people who'd commissioned this building, they didn't trust him, basically. They said, you better put some columns in there, we're concerned about it. And there was a, there was a arguing and a toing and froing. And uh, eventually he conceded, OK, I'll put the columns in. Anyway, 400 years later, they're looking at the roof of this building, and they discovered that there was a gap of, like, six inches or something between the top of the columns and the roof. <laughs> Which was Ren's way of saying, screw you. (laughs) Now, that's a nice guy, isn't it? I love that story. Uh, Passing passing under Southwark Bridge, we have an orchestra. Yes, wonderful. All right, maestro, lovely to see you. Music on the tour as well, how wonderful is that? Right underneath the sign that says, no busking. (laughs) <laughs> I love it, I love it. It's a wonderful place. We're going to turn off Bankside now, although we're still really on Bankside. We're turning off the river frontage. But we're passing by a wonderful Greek restaurant. And I say wonderful because a big chef, and he is a big chef, cooks food outside now and again and gives free samples to the customers. And as I walk past with my tour group, I tell them, this is the finest restaurant in all of London. And he doesn't half give me a big piece of meat. Whoa, lovely. Does that sound rude? I didn't mean it to. <laughs> of all the cuisines you could have picked for that joke. I know. Quite disgraceful. Let's turn left down Burr Gardens. I'm just going to pause a moment to admire the buildings on the waterfront there on the North Bank. I like that eclectic mix going on there. Absolutely. 
and you see the few spires uh, rising above these modern buildings or modernish, modernish buildings. And at one time, this Puritan side of London was a, a whole sea of church steeples and spires, and many of them are still there, just covered over by this modern architecture. Are there fewer churches this side? Uh, I'm not sure if there are fewer churches. There were certainly more evil people or wickeder people back in the day. And, of course, they're all Christians now. We all know that, don't we? You haven't asked me about Burr Gardens. Well, John, you know what I'd like to know about now? Uh, I'd like to tell you first, if I was still homeless, this is where I would be. Oh, we've got extract events here. This is so warm on a cold day, I could stay here forever. Yes, and at nine o'clock when they start doing the moussaka and the kebab, the lovely aroma comes out of these hot air blowers. Oh, it's like being in heaven. And there's a point in the middle of the night where these switch off, presumably. There is, about two o'clock in the morning. I used to sleep outside the hotel blowers in the West End when I was under the influence. But uh, that was many years ago. Bear Gardens, the site of the last burr-baiting pit in England... And burr baiting was uh, the most popular form of entertainment in Elizabethan England for some time. And then them other theatres came along. You know, the ones where men dress as women, those kind of theatres. And uh, someone from over in the city sent an order that said those kind of theatres must close on a Thursday to allow burr baiting theatres to continue. Hmm, make of that what you will. I suppose for the listener who doesn't know about bear baiting, we probably ought to explain that. Oh, okay then. Well, it's a blood sport and uh, quite cruel and vicious setting dogs against bears. But as bears, and I don't mean teddy bears, bears were an expensive commodity, they generally used bulls and they would gamble on the outcome. Well, not necessarily the outcome, perhaps on which dog would lose which leg first. Sounds like good, wholesome entertainment. Ah, of course. Splendid stuff. Well, we're out of Bear Gardens now, and which uh, which street is this? I knew you were going to ask me which street this was. I haven't got a clue, but it's the street where the Rose Theatre stands. (laughs) That that is not on the list of approved questions. Oh, I should have read it more carefully. This isn't the most attractive of streets, I must say. Actually, it's got some fabulous stuff on this street, and we're just coming past one of the most fabulous bits. Now, here, the Rose Theatre, built 1587. As you can see, the first Elizabethan theatre of Bankside. And it's actually an archaeological digging progress, or working progress. If you come down on my tour on Saturday, you can come inside the theatre free and see what they're digging up old things preferably Uh, there is a film show as well and I do allow you 10 or 15 minutes to sit down while I have a cigarette outside because I'm old fashioned and I still smoke but this is where Shakespeare performed here with Titus Andronicus and Henry VI part 1 Christopher Marlowe the writer in residence and he probably owned the theatre because he'd borrowed a whole pile of dosh off the man at the bottom of the road Mr Chumley Chumley's Ale House, 800 and something pounds back in the 1500s. That's like a 10 billion today. Something tells me Chumley was on the fiddle. But anyway, by 1605, 18 years later, the lease on this land had not been renewed. And it sort of faded into obscurity. And when they dug it up, when they dug out the foundations for this monstrosity that's rising here now, they came upon the earlier foundations... And the museum said, oh, wow, we found the rose. And there was, this street was full of famous people. Save the rose, save the rose. And, of course, it's now being saved. And there you are. And that's my story. Shakespeare left, of course. But he didn't go far. He went over here. And I'm going to give you some poetry over here. Yes. <laughs> Did you expect poetry on this tour? Tough, you're going to get it. You said not an interesting street, but look at this bridge we're walking oh, on. No, no, I said not an attractive street. Okay, attractive, vaulted ceilings on a bridge. Oh, okay, that just got much more attractive. As Fred Dibner would have an orgasm if he could, 
This is beautiful. Beautiful bridge. I guess I didn't expect to find somewhere quite so apparently residential. This close to the river. Yes, it is. And this is a listed building here. This is the site, and you can't see anything really, of the original Globe Theatre. Shakespeare's masterpiece, yes. And probably built from some timbers from a theatre in Shoreditch, which Shakespeare was associated with at one time. Uh, how do they know it's here? They can't, they can't excavate because these are listed. That would be like English Heritage v English Heritage. They sound like Jarndyce v Jarndyce, a Dickens novel. Great stuff. Underground there's a car park. And when they were doing that, they came upon timbers and jewels and beads and bits of coins and, and a museum of London. My God, we found the globe. We've been looking for it forever. It's here. It's under here. And there's some pictures of it. And the old medieval bridge. And St. Paul's. And the there, Southwark Cathedral, the oldest Gothic church in London. Look at the bridge. What a marvellous bit of engineering. Look at the city. Look at the spires. Oh, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Would you like some poetry here? Well, I feel quite overwhelmed already. So, uh, oh, yes, I'd like around. to be further overwhelmed. Right, here we go. I call this one... Uh, can I, t- before you go you on... Can, you can ask what you like on this tour. I've been putting your pronunciation of beer baiting down to your Lancastrian roots, but in fact, on, on this picture here, it's yes. labelled B-E-E-R-E, beer yes, baiting. you see, you thought it wrong, didn't you? Listen, it's a, that's, that's great, actually. And you just give me something else I'm going to include in my tour. Oh, you thought I was making up? Look, beer baiting. <laughs> actually, it sounded like my dad then. My God, I'm turning into my father. OK, one quick bit of poetry, yeah? A couple of minutes. I'll call this one The Ghost of Frederick Rye. And it's probably about myself. Writings become the annotations, the exclamations in the margins of my life. I am stifling in the sutures of some silicone-filled future where the fact becomes a fiction and with a predilection for affection I search out with some conviction to look for something more. In the corners of my eyes where constellations live and die and where stars are born and burn, I turn into inner space hoping there I'll find a place where this pen that meets the page is divested of its rage and in the margins once again only peace and ink blots shall remain. Books are made to frame these words. Why abound things? Aye, some with sturdy spines. Many times I have been taken far away from where I lay into another world within this world. And in the whirling of narcotic free, the story, this is the me, the light, against the night, the wrong way round, the day that breaks without a sound and yet remains unbroken. A token that will win no prize, more constellations in my eyes. Progressively, I believe in more and more of my own lies and surprisingly I knew this would occur. This event was written in the margins when I wasn't there but was read and readily digested as another fiction. Fact. Was it something that I missed or lacked? In the margins life is difficult and to define a future has no future but the snippings of another suture binds the wounds and hurts a bait. I would not write against the margins of my fate nor take a page again to sate my rage again. I must behave again. I must be brave again. In and on a dusty manuscript where one more dream was stripped and one more life was ripped to shreds. I put to bed these haunts. I thank you. If I wasn't holding a microphone, there'd be a clapping going on right here. <laughs> I'll hold your microphone. <laughs> Let's wander off. Thank you very much. That's just a little piece. When did you write that? Uh, about uh, oh, I've done six months ago, maybe. Seven months. But I have several million pieces on my website. Please check it out. Johnsmallshaw.com. <laughs> there are some jewels. You've just got to spend a week or two reading my stuff to find them. Because there is an awful lot of it. Once again, we can see the shard on the skyline. In fact, that's been curiously absent, given how close we have been to it the whole time. But there it is. And we're heading back towards it, which tells me that perhaps we're in the final leg of our whistle-stop tour. Well, yes, we are. But, you know, the shard is its like Southwark's tombstone, isn't it? You're going to see everywhere you look. 
in a thousand years they're going to think why is that there and then they're going to look below and see everything dead it is, it, I just think it's a tombstone uh, it's a great bit of architecture don't get me wrong and it's fabulous in that respect but what is it what does it have to do with anything do you know when, when the lights are on in the early evening and it's dark and the top section sort of glows orange and I looked one night and I thought oh god it's melting down that's exactly what it looked like it was melting from the top downwards I've got to say there's, there's something really peculiar about the choice at the top there well, there I is. really don't understand that uh, could it be that they run out of money and they thought oh let's just miss out something <laughs> Make it look like we meant to do it this yeah, way. Yeah, but I've noticed that with a lot of buildings. If you notice uh, these all modern glass constructions, certainly in the city, they appear to be bits coming out of it with nothing there, just bits of glass, as if they've run out of money and they can't afford the floors and the ceiling. We're passing a piece here, but we're not going to stop because otherwise we won't have time to finish this podcast. You see, the podcast is shorter than my tour. Come on my tour, a couple of hours if you've got to spare. But uh, unfortunately, this podcast doesn't have a couple of hours to spare, so we have to dash along. This area is just a minute from the waterfront, and yet it's so quiet. Well, this really, yeah, this really feels like a housing estate near Bracknell. Actually, it's probably due to the financial times being around here, you know. These are moneyed men now, amidst the beggars and the flotsam of life. Or is it the jetsam of life? Who knows? This wonderful building here, Lucy Brown House is an old folks home. Lucy Brown was a 19th century philanthropist. These are Lucy Brown gardens. Yes, concreted over with seats you can't sleep on because once this was the haunt of drug addicts and alcoholics. And I suspect, although I don't know if this is true, that the, the local residents complained and the place was concreted over. Can you see the sign there that says Lucy Brown gardens? No, you can't because it's not there. But these are Lucy Brown Gardens, a very famous woman. Just uh, out of the corner of my eye, I think I can see a shop called Little Dorrit. Well, you may see a shop, I see a cafe. Uh, another reference to Dickens, of course. Dickens, what a brilliant chap. His father was imprisoned in the Marshalsea debtors' jail when Dickens was but 12 years old. And, and, and in, book, in the book Little Dorrit, of course, her father was imprisoned in Marshalsea and she would go and stay with him every night except the night she was too late and wasn't allowed in. And she slept in the crypt of St George the Martyr Church, Tabard Square. Ever since then, of course, it's been known as the Little Dorrit Church. Let's cross down this famous road, minding the traffic, of course. For those of you who remember Chaz and Dave, yes, I have a special treat. Look yonder. Uh, Take courage. Take courage. Courage Best, Courage... I'm not advertising Courage Best. Chaz and Dave, one of the great 80s adverts. <laughs> For a man who doesn't have a TV, you know a lot about TV. Oh, I used to watch it. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about either. Are you serious? You don't know Chaz and Dave? You know, we've got, we've got listeners in Russia. Well, Google, Google <laughs> worldwide. So, explain... <laughs> do you know what? Let's do this. Uh... John, could you explain the cultural significance of Chaz and Dave? <laughs> of course, Chaz and Dave, great. They used to have a great pub up at uh, Green Lanes in Stoke Newton. I don't know if it's still there. But during the 80s, uh, Courage Breweries employed them to uh, make a series of adverts which were very funny. And, and you mentioned Russia. There's a great Russian lady and a great burr of a woman. Burr, burr, I see. It's all related to this tour. And... Uh, just Google Chaz and Dave and get the adverts. Have half an hour's laughter and then come on my tour and have two hours laughter. This is Red Cross Way. Now, this street was famous after, after the Cromwell kicks off for the prostitutes. And in actual fact, uh, General Booth of Salvation Army fame commissioned a report on this area. And uh, the Scottish gentleman who, who did the report said that this was the worst street that he'd ever seen in his entire life. This was a dangerous place full of syphilis and crime. But on this street alone, on my walk, you are going to... You're not going to catch syphilis. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, on this street alone, you are going to see in real life and in real time an anachronism. There she blows. 
that's an anachronism. You are pointing at a five or six storey building with red balcony rails. It looks very ordinary. You think so? This is Cromwell Buildings. But in an anachronism, as I understand it, is something that's out of place. This is not only out of place, it's out of time. This is Doll's House on a grand scale, don't you think? And now I'm looking beyond the railings and I'm seeing on each on each landing there are seven, eight, nine arches, each of which could be leading off somewhere. Absolutely. Did you ever read Alice in Wonderland? Yes, what's the connection? <laughs> None whatsoever, Thank except you. in my... <laughs> do you listen to the arches? Yes, what's that got to do with it? Also nothing. These are the stairways, of course. The arches, look, round and round... This this just a fabulous building, but but an anachronism in the sense that it is out of place. Oh right, now I've got to explain. Now my eyes are making sense of this now. So, <laughs> of, of all the arches that stretch across, each one looks either like a door or a doorway. But what we're seeing here is that the middle three arches on every floor. Well, the the left is the uh, stairs up, the right is the stairs down, and up the middle there's a false arch that is the central column holding the building up and then the, the arches to either side of the doorways. It's really beautiful. It's quite fascinating, isn't it? Come on my tour, you can see it any day you like. We're coming to a junction in Red Cross Way ahead of us. Brightly coloured, fairly festive lights. Southwark on LSD. Now the seasoned listener to Londonist Out Loud will have half an idea of what we might encounter next. Ah, yes. That, the, the, what, <laughs> what we're encountering next used to be a hardcore sex shop. It's now a design, print and display marketing company. Isn't that fascinating? I don't know what hardcore sex is, but it used to be a shop that sold it. I suppose display marketing probably has a connection. Yes. Well, Clint Eastwood has a connection on this tour as well, actually. Oh, definitely. Because I'm quite sure that's the tower he poked his head out of in one of his western movies. We're looking right down an alleyway towards a church bell tower, I think. Doesn't it remind you of something in Mexico or Spain? No. Okay. <laughs> no, not really. The boot and flogger is a free vintner. Free vintners, you say, what's that? Licensed by Her Majesty the Queen, rather than the local licensing authority. Why is that the case? Oh, hold on, I haven't checked the list. Yes, well, we, we, we have a thought about this. We think that's the case because it may have been one of the early houses associated with either the market or the docks. And the early houses, of course, would open at three o'clock for hot toddies on a cold night. And uh, certainly up in the old Covent Garden, I made use of many of them. You, uh, you bring up that idea of Clint Eastwood and I, I know that kind of Wild West spirit seems to obtain around here. seems like everything's a bit different. Well, this is the outlaw borough, of course. You know, I, I, did have, I did have a thing about Josie Wales crossing the Thames at one time, thinking it was a Mississippi, you know, and singing the Battle Hymn of the Republic. But uh, because I, I have a lot of uh, foreign tourists on this who, who have not necessarily seen the outlaw Josie Wales, a joke fell flat, so I took it out. But I can always add it in if you're English. Where are we at? Yes, we're at Crossbones Graveyard, home of the outcast dead. I'm mentioning tombstones, which we weren't, but the tombstone is the shard. Look at it, rising high above the graveyard. Now, I can't tell you any more about this graveyard than, than certainly John Constable uh, could, except that I, I attend a vigil here when I can on the 23rd of every month, which has been going on forever, it seems. Uh, and we have a silent, not so silent, poetic, musical, uh, not religious ceremony, a service just to remember those who were outcast and those who are outcast. Not just the, the, the poor girls and boys in here, but the girls and boys outside who, who, who feel for whatever reason and maybe are shunned by society. And, and it's a very open ceremony. If you're about on the 23rd, it starts at 7 o'clock sharp. It's free. Come along. This is where we will have to come to our conclusion of this tour and John it's been 
fantastic, of course. Yes, yes I know it has, because I'm marvellous. <laughs> and so modest. And <laughs> I, I guess I just wanted to sort of maybe finish up on that point with the weather being what it is, and it's going to get colder. Lots of people out there in this weather a lot of people who've been through experiences that uh, may cross over with your own as we move around this city and um, we encounter people in that sort of situation do you have uh, sort of suggestions as to how that interaction could best be handled well apart from the the magnificent work that crisis and a lot of street outreach places do uh, I never give money to people who beg for it on the streets, and I know how hard it is. I, I, sometimes, whether, what, maybe they're feeding an addiction or something, and, and that's the reason anyway. I don't give them money. Uh, I, why would I feed someone else's addiction when I stop feeding my own? But if I can afford it, I will offer them a cup of tea and just five minutes chat. Sometimes, that five minutes chat is is a bridge you build, and it's the bridge that they won't jump off. So have a think about that. Tom Smallshaw, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that's all for this week. My guests for this week, John Smallshaw. Thanks too to Dominic Stevenson, Bernie Barkley and Mark Barr. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.